Hey, welcome to Manalyzing. This is where men talk about the kind of stuff that men don't talk about. Put your hard hat on, get ready for a ride. Here we go. Hey, welcome to Manalyzing, where men talk about the kind of stuff that men don't talk about. I'm Garth Haslam. In this interview, I'm talking to Aaron Shields. Now, Aaron is a friend of mine and somebody who I respect greatly. He's one of those guys who just on first blush, he looks like he's got it all. He's a great athlete. He's a great musician. He's insanely intelligent. Uh, this man will be the smartest guy in a room, no matter what room he's in. Um, good dad. He's got it all together. It looks like he makes, uh, he's got a great career. He's rising. He's making a great deal of money and he is doing well. He's the guy that a lot of us want to be. What do we learn from him? Everything. Uh, here's a guy who, despite appearances, he's got his difficulties too. And he talks about them. For me, that's reassuring that even the best of us, even the guys who appear to have it all, we still have issues, and we can learn from each other. Here's the interview. I had a friend, Aaron, who, um, who in college, he was the one guy who was athletic. He was good-looking. He was smart. He always got the A's. We all hated him. <laughs> His name was Dave Jorgensen, and Dave, someday, someday, somehow, somewhere, if you're listening to this, we still hate you. <laughs> So, uh, yeah, you, Aaron, you're Dave Jorgensen. <laughs> you know, I, it was to the point where I would explain to him, he would miss a class, and I would explain to him what my notes were, and then we'd go take the test, and he'd get a better score on the test than me. Yeah, he, he was that guy. <laughs> <laughs> nice. So from my point of view, and I'm sure you'll correct me here, but you're the guy who's got the job. Um, you, you make a few nickels every, <laughs> every month and year. And uh, you know who you are. You're, um, you know, you're in a nice home. You've got a family that works. Um, you know, and and from outward appearances, life is great for you. Now you're going to argue with me, and that's that's kind of what this is all about. But before <laughs> we get into all the down and dirty, um, let's just get you introduced. Yeah, uh, sure. So, where'd you grow up? What was life like when you were? I don't know. Five, ten. Yeah. Well, I grew up in a very rural town. My dad uh, loves kids, loves people, and he dedicated most of his life to teaching them and, and influencing them in, in different ways. So he's taught school as a school teacher for uh, around 30 years and then uh, actually just recently changed tack and, and went back to school and got a couple of degrees and became a speech pathologist. So now he's helping kids actually speak better. But he's always been involved with kids. Um, now, the downside to being an educator in Utah is that uh, it's not maybe the most lucrative career. We did have a couple of nickels that came home, but I still remember, you know, we grew up. We grew up very, very poor. Where did you grow up poor like, at? Uh, most of, mostly in southern Utah and central Utah. So we we grew up in Kanab for starters. Okay. And then when I was about fourteen, fifteen years old, we moved to Fillmore. Utah. So rural places, a great, great way, great place to grow up if you're... Yeah, I was going to say thriving metropolis. Yeah, exactly. What was growing up, you said Kanab. Kanab, yeah. What was growing up in Kanab like? Oh, I spent most of my time outside. 
Okay. So I'd wander around with my buddies. We'd do, you know, we'd hike, we'd ride bikes, we'd build forts. It was, in my mind, it was kind of a paradise for a kid. Uh-huh. You know, to go just wander off and do whatever you wanted to do and then come home in time for dinner and rinse and repeat. What did you learn from being a kid? How did that shape you? Well, really, I have my parents to thank for most of, you know, where I've come from today, because from a very, very young age, they taught me really two things, right? Number one was you can do anything you want as long as you're willing to put the work in. Okay. Right. So when it came, when it came down to things like shopping for school clothes or even more important things like how are you going to go to college? Mm -hmm. They were never like, well, you know, you're not cut out for that. Or, you know, our situation financially, we're just not going to be able to help you with that. Instead, what they would say is anything you want to be, anything you want to do, you can do it as long as you're willing to put in that work. Give me an example of uh, of that in action. Okay. So as I'm starting to become a teenager uh-huh. uh, and looking at what I want to actually be when I grow up, I want to be a rocket scientist. Okay. You know, from, from puppy age. Uh, now, coming from a family where we were, it's not like they had already signed a ticket for me to go wherever I wanted, right? They weren't going to cover my schooling, my tuition. They weren't going to cover my housing or anything like that. But instead of saying like, well, you're totally on your own. What they said was, if you want this, you can have it. And here are the things that you're going to need to line up to make that happen. Right? So school was important. Grades were important. Scholarships were important. And then they used the means that they did have, especially their social network, to be able to find places, place for me to stay while I was going to school for free and, you know, stuff like that. But the whole time, the underlying message was, hey, don't let, don't let any of that stop you. Just think, look like you can do anything you want to do. Just make sure that you line up and put the work in to get from where you are to where you want to be. And how have you used that um, that lesson since that time in your life? Well, I think it instilled in me a lot of confidence to just say, "Yeah, I can. I can be whoever I need to be, or whoever I want to be in, in a given moment." And so, my career has been really interesting. I did. Reached my childhood dreams. I went to school um, on on scholarships, and was immediately recruited even before I graduated to work on NASA projects. So I said I got recruited by the Department of Defense, and I was doing the rocket scientist stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, even even before I was all the way all the way graduated. And then my career sort of pivoted, and I moved from that government to aerospace industry work into software. And uh, and then from software into coaching, right? So now I'm a, now I'm a personal like a connection coach. Connection coach. Mm-hmm. That's a subject we need to cover. We because- do. Yeah, it's it's a really really exciting thing, and really uh, my favorite thing so far. But I, all of those transitions were possible because I wasn't afraid of failing or not, you know, not, not being up for it or not being able to make the cut because I knew that, okay, here's what's going to take to be successful here. So I just need to acquire these skills and do this work and it'll, and it'll happen. Yeah. I have a uh, special place in my heart for that word connection right now. Um, that's the book I'm reading on audible right now. And it's one of the things that makes uh, a good interviewer, for example, it's the difference between 
in in my case, uh, between my first marriage and my second, my my first wife did not tell me. You know, she she and I had connection issues, but uh, what her thing was. You're an engineer, be an engineer, do what you know how to do. If you want to do diving, if you want to do podcasting, if you want to sing, you're an engineer, be an engineer. Difference uh, between her and Julie, awesome wife number two, <laughs> is that she, uh, she goes, yeah, if you want a studio in the basement, if you want to spend a few thousand on equipment, Go for it. It's yeah. your passion. Yeah. And, um, you know, that buys connection. That buys appreciation. Sure. So I'm uh, I'm, I'm there with you. Connection right. coach. That's cool. Well, and kudos to Julie, too, because, you know, a lot of times we, we try to see life as you know, just a road from point A to point B. Uh-huh. And so you have a lot of people saying exactly what you were mentioning, like, no, nope, stay in your lane. Uh-huh. Right, stay in your lane. But the truth is that life isn't just a, a road from point A to point B. It's more like this amazing field or this amazing topography. And there are trails all over the place, but you, you don't have to just stay on one specific trail or a trail at all, right? Like You can go hiking through the weeds. Exactly. If you want, if you want a bushwhack, you know, go for it. And I, I feel like that's, that's a really important aspect that we sometimes miss out on if we're too focused on whatever our lane is. Your so parents gave you confidence to do anything because they told you if you if you want to do something, do it. Yep, exactly. Have you modified those words with you with your kids? How do you uh, how do you do that with your own? Same kids? same message, right? And and my my family situation is pretty interesting. We have six kids. I grew up in a family of six kids, so there's a lot of similarities there. Our kids are not your typical kids, uh-huh. right? They're all, they're all really gifted intellectually, but also really challenging. We've got autism that we're dealing with. We've got behavioral challenges. We've got genetic disorders that end up causing us a lot of extra stress and lots of doctor visits. In reality, my kids are not going to be things like professional athletes uh-huh. or pop superstars. Right. Right. Some, some of those things are probably off the table. But instead of saying you can't, you can't, you can't, we do a lot. Kind of, I would do a lot of what Julie does with you, right? Well, what's your passion? What do you love to do? What gets you excited? And let's work on developing some skills and talents there so that with that passion and excitement comes some expertise where you can actually reach out and serve people. Because really, like winning in life, both financially and otherwise, really comes down to the number of people you're able to serve and help and your unique capabilities in doing that. I think I would like you to restate that. Winning in life comes down to the number of people you can serve. Say that again and give me an example of how you've used that. Yeah, well, um, so to restate, like winning in life, let's see if I can remember, (laughs) is all about the number of people you can serve and help Uh and the specific skills you develop to be able to do that in a unique way. Okay, this time you said specific skills. So now, um, what specific skills? I know that you are a um, you're an incredible musician. You know your the your family uh, just did a band event, and your extended family, your family, mm-hmm. um, they're all insanely gifted as well. But yeah. What I saw was that 
you're experienced enough as, as a musician, you're gifted enough as a musician to carry them. You ran what the the guitar or yeah the uh, the guitar the um, harmonica, <laughs> and you did vocals, all for one song. Uh, is this the kind of thing you're talking about uh, having additional skill sets so that you can serve or? Um... Well, well, sure. So that, that music is a great example, right? Because it's not just it's not just uh, do I have the ability to sing or play a musical instrument or anything like that. It's more about. Um, I think that the reason that that was able to work, right? We go from zero to five weeks later, we play an entire set, rock and roll set for uh -huh. for our neighborhood. Uh, it actually came down to a, a very different set of skills, of which the music was only one part, right? So okay. think about the amount of organization involved, the the just the expertise that I've developed over years as a gigging musician uh -huh. to know how long does it take to set up? What kind of equipment are we going to need? How do we arrange ourselves in a way that uh, is going to be visually pleasing, but also help us to stay together as a group, uh -huh. right? And so that type of expertise that I've developed, but also like huge kudos to my father-in-law, Nathan, who, again, like 30 years as a gigging musician, you you learn some tricks, Right. So mm -hmm. the talent is there, but also the experience and expertise to put together something that ends up feeling very, very professional, very uh, exciting and enjoyable for people. What's hard? What's been hard for you? Um, well, life in general is hard, right? It's designed for, for us to uh, it, like life, whether you're religious or not, life exposes all of your weaknesses to you on a regular basis. Okay. And you can choose at that point whether to say, well, life just sucks and it's hard. And, re and, and go back into your cave and just – Right, and, and kind of hide from that. Or you can see it for what it really is. See, I feel like life is kind of a coach, right, where you're playing the game. You're doing what you, what you think you – like you're doing as much as you can right. Uh-huh. And then you have a coach that comes and says, all right, I noticed your form was off here. Let's see if we can work on this thing. Let's see if we can work on this other thing. And life does that for you in a very natural way. So if you have anger or temper issues, for example, you're going to find yourself in situations quite often where that is tested, especially if you start working on it. Tell me a story. So, <laughs> okay. So uh, as I started transitioning from like software focused professional to a connection coach. Uh-huh. One of the single most challenging things for me was the realization that you never really become an expert in that area because you are always dealing with, you know, your own challenges, your own struggles. And that ex the expertise is more along, okay, what do I do when I reach these challenges? Mm -hmm. It's not now I don't have these problems. It's okay, problems are part of life, and now I at least can offer some advice and help on how to handle those problems when they come up. So here's a fun story. Okay. Um, <laughs> one of the challenges that I have grown up with is also one of my greatest strengths, uh -huh. right? So I tend to pick things up very quickly, and I'm able to focus very, very uh, like laser focus on – things that I care about, things that I'm passionate about. So that can be software, it can be engineering, it could be climbing, you know, rock climbing or or music or anything like that. But with that 
comes a challenge where I also tend to be very dismissive of people who aren't that way. Uh-huh. And so I end up coming across as very, uh, cold. Yeah. Like almost, uh, unfeeling. I got, I just don't care about other people's feelings. Right. Right. And so a lot of times when I start to get, when I start to feel overwhelmed or, or stressed, the general feeling that I have is something like no amount of effort that I put out, put out mm-hmm. regardless of how, uh, you know, whether it's world-class effort or not can compensate for everybody else just sitting around and not helping me. So I still deal struggle with feelings of uh, being feeling lonely or isolated or unsupported in the things that I care about quite simply because no one else is as crazy about that thing uh-huh. as I am. I'm, I'm putting perhaps two and two together. I saw you uh, lifting a um, fairly heavy load with the band you were obviously the experienced one who was running a lot and making sure that everybody else was covered. It kind of reminds me of when I was playing Frisbee back in the day. Yeah. Yeah, because if we were losing, I was like, I've been putting it 100%, but I think I need to go to 110 because we're losing. Mm-hmm. I think there's some leadership lesson, lessons in there somewhere. So when, when you go to that place, do you actually go to – we're losing, I need to do more. Oh, definitely. Especially, especially as sort of the, the breadwinner for the family, mm-hmm. right? Like if, if things are hard, like when, for example, when we started, my daughter has uh, a really difficult condition to even diagnose, but it has to do with her ability to just eat food. Anytime she does eat, she gets a horrible stomach ache. And we're having a really hard time even figuring out what's going on insider you know is it a, is it is it a structural problem is it physiological is it psychological is it some weird combination of all of those things so we spend right now we're spending you know probably 5 hours a week in doctor visits trying to figure out what's going on and try and help her live uh more of a normal life right that involves lots of testing lots of just lots of hospital time what does that do to your insides when you're dealing with this. Are you treating this like an engineering problem, like I would probably do? What does that? What does it do to you? That- yeah, I mean, there's definitely some methodology there from the engineering side. We're going to eliminate some things. We're going to rule things out, and I, I do feel like the doctors are doing a good job of that. But emotionally, it's a completely different side of a spectrum because with her struggling with this, my wife is doing all the doctor visits, you know, trying to be sort of the companion and the nurturer of it. She's naturally very good at being, mm-hmm. but that leaves some gaps at home, right? Not Tell to me mention the additional, gaps. well, there's also obviously the additional cost of all of his treatment. Right. Finding like it's kind of my responsibility to try and figure out how to cover those additional costs. But then there are, there are costs at home as well. We've got five other kids that still need love and attention. Right. Right. And we have a household to run with some of the things that we deal with at home. We have basically five adorable little Tasmanian devils running around just. (laughs) And we, our house is in a constant state of, of chaos. Right. Uh So for a person like me to which order is so important, I have to really watch myself for that inward focusing feeling that you were just describing with Frisbee, Garth, like, Uh It can't be, ooh, these are problems. I need to just shove everybody out of the way and solve these problems myself. That's my natural tendency, right? Like, everybody get out of here. I just got to put this together. 
Uh-huh. Right. And I think the leadership lesson that you that you alluded to is like, well, you can do that, but you only have so much capacity as a single human being. That's, Even though that capacity might be amazing, it's still only one. Yeah, that's management. That's not leadership. Yeah. And I am going to guess that when you're in that place, you're shoving stuff down emotionally. What does that feel like? Yeah. Okay. This is a great, this is a really great thing to talk about because it's, I feel like it's one of the core, like foundational things about connection coaching Uh that is super important because the truth is that all of us, myself included, have a tendency in that moment to either shove down that emotion, suppress it Uh to try and get something done. Right. Right. Or we explode. Yeah. Right. And it's, I'm going to suggest that's the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. Because what happens exactly what happens is you shove it down enough and nothing, it just doesn't fit anymore. Right. Right. And so you have this negativity and all this, this sort of emotional clutter that you've been trying to compact and compact. And pretty soon it just overflows and you end up just spilling out on whoever's around you, usually the people that you care about the most. Yeah. The ones that least deserve it and most need something other than that. Exactly. So because that's a natural tendency, it's something that we have to be very um, intentional about managing, just like it's natural for us to get dirty and sweaty and gross physically. Uh uh, As the day goes on, we need to actively manage that, right? So we shower, we bathe, we groom ourselves, right? And we all, and we know that that leads to healthier, happier, less smelly life. So showering, um, we get dirty. (laughs) All of us men can identify with getting dirty. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And, um, but then there's the showering concept. Yeah. You know, and I'm thinking of the trash compactor that just compacts and packs and compacts until it can't do it anymore. And then it breaks. The the truth, the fundamental truth underneath all of that, Garth, is that at some point it's got to come out. Uh Uh-huh. And we get to decide at what point that comes out and in what ways. Yeah. So, so now I'm going from trash compactor to shower. How do we, uh, how do we go from, from breaking as a trash compactor to an, emo- I'm going to call this an emotional shower. Yeah. Perfect. Perfect. And that's, uh, we kind of talk about it in terms of emotional hygiene, right? right? Which makes sense. And the truth is that, like, you'll have experiences through life. Like, again, life will sh- life, life will show you exactly. It'll poke on all of those parts of you that are soft oh. and expose those things, right? And with those come very naturally feelings of inadequacy, feelings of frustration, feelings of just wishing that things were different, uh-huh. right? And then feeling trapped because they're not. So if you imagine that emotional buildup the same way you would dirt or sweat or anything else, it's very important to regularly just get rid of the cleanse those. You're just going to wash them out of your out of your soul. So one of the guys that I interviewed, Todd Nielsen, good dude. He's a man's man. He's got a man's body. He's got a man's. <laughs> uh, he's got. He you know he can talk to you about knives and guns. He teaches guns. He teaches self protection. Uh, you look at him and you go, there's there's a dude who yeah. I wouldn't even want to consider taking him on, even if I had a whole bunch of weapons and he had none. You know, he's that guy. Yeah. And he talked about how, and he's a retired cop. He talked about one day 
when he came home having liberated a bunch of six-year-old who six-year-olds who'd just been raped. Wow. And uh, yeah, among other things that he did, he he was uh, he was involved from the cop side in human trafficking. And so he comes home and he tells his wife, I just did this. And she goes, wow, that's too much for me. I can't blame her. Yeah. That's that's a lot. And so then he turns to his next best friend, and that was Jack Daniels. Turns out, to uh, perhaps no one's surprise, that Jack's not a very good best, best friend. Right. But he didn't – he didn't – have he didn't allow himself anybody else to talk to there was the wife there's jack daniels and then there's nobody else yeah so now let's go back to that to that question and let's say that you're actually the coach for todd you know and the scenario could be any one of a thousand stories that are similar sure sure we don't allow ourselves we think about the wife but sometimes we don't want to admit it to the wife we Maybe she's the problem. Maybe we think she's the problem. Maybe, maybe, maybe. But how do we cleanse ourselves of the emotional baggage? Yeah, well, having a coach in the first place is definitely the first step. And that can be an official, you know, a life coach or a connection coach like me. Uh, it could be just somebody else that's in your corner, a therapist or other professional that's trained to help you process emotion. Because that's really what we need to do is just process it, get it through you and uh -huh. out of you, right? So in a situation like that with Todd, I would probably be focused on, okay, well, let's rather than forcing all of that emotion down, let's unpack it a little bit and like allow ourselves in this safe space to experience some of that emotion uh -huh. as part of letting it just kind of come through us. A lot of times that ends up as human beings, we're made to emote, right? A toddler uh, throwing a tantrum is a very natural thing. And as we grow up, we are trained out of that. Yeah, we we are trained out of it. You know, don't cry. If people see you cry, then, right? then you're X or Y or Z. Right, or people say, hey, you're fine. Uh, and that's supposed to like magically repair any damage that has been done you know, over the course of your entire life. <laughs> and it's just not, fundamentally, it's just not true, right? Uh -huh. So the first thing is to have a space, somebody in your corner where you can express that emotion in whatever way makes sense to you. If you're not a very emotional person, then it might mean just journaling or just writing out, you know, how it went, how you felt, you know, what it was like. Uh -huh. And a lot of times that's one of the, but that's one of the first go-to things that we do for people managing big emotions. And it can be in a, a scary, like, police officer type scenario. It could also just be, uh, I'm a single dad and it's hard. Uh -huh. And sometimes I think things about my kids that I should, I know I shouldn't say to them, so I'm going to bottle them up. Well, what happens is eventually it just comes out on them anyway. Yeah, at the least appropriate time. At the, the least, least appropriate, appropriate time, right? And so what we want to do instead is... Release that in a controlled environment. How have you done that? Uh, I write a lot. I do a lot of writing. Uh -huh. um, in fact, I have kind of two journals. One of them is the things that I want to remember, and the other is the things I want to forget. That's awesome. It's, and it's really, really nice. And they're even color-coded. So the things I want to forget is a yellow notepad paper. Uh-huh. 
and I write that stuff down and it could be as, as gross or dirty or angry, whatever. I'm just pouring all of that negativity into that paper. Mm-hmm. And when I'm done, that paper goes away. It's destroyed. And I'm not talking like I throw it in the garbage. Right. Like I tear it up. Sometimes I'll go outside and I'll burn it, uh-huh. you know, put it in the fire pit and just watch all that go away. And then imagine it, it, it's a very real feeling. If, you, if you've if you poured all of that negativity into that object and that object is being destroyed in front of you, there's a very real emotional release that happens as well as that just goes out of your life forever. Your daughter that has the uh, the stomach issues. Yeah. I would imagine, because I would do this to myself, that you've probably told her, told yourself that there's something wrong with you because genetics, you know, that uh, she's got this issue. She's in pain because you, uh, what does, what does that look and feel like? Yeah. So same story. And, and again, there are different ways to do that. Sometimes it's paper sometimes. So the other day I got really frustrated at, um, uh, because of some situations that I was dealing with professionally. So not uh-huh. even the family. Right. You know, people are, I ask people to do stuff. They don't follow through. I end up on the hook for it anyway. And the thing falls apart. So I get real frustrated. Well, uh-huh. I wasn't feeling very righty at that time. Right. Like I didn't want to sit down and, and express all my feelings that way. So what I did was I, I stepped out of my office. My office has a door straight to the outside. So I stepped outside and I just started picking up rocks. We got plenty of rocks. Our yard's not finished yet. So I got lots of rocks. And I picked up a rock and I just let all of that frustration go into the rock. As much as that rock would hold. And then I just chucked it as far as I could across the yard. I think that we uh, should be really careful before we discount things like the nature of our connection to the world around us that includes people, but also things, you know, objects, plants, animals, even the, the earth as a whole, you know, there's a lot more connection there than I think we have the sensitivity to appreciate. There is the uh, scripture in the new Testament uh, where Christ was saying, if you do this, even the rocks would cry out. Right. So that brings the question of our, do the rocks have some form of life to them? Yeah, well, I could I could talk for hours on my opinion there, but I do feel like, okay, so back in the day uh, in uh, medieval times, uh-huh. it was really hard to do something like central air. So what yes. they would do to help people stay warm is they'd heat rocks up in the fireplace, then they'd right. carry the rocks to bed in sort of a container, right? and then the rocks would keep you warm overnight as they gradually release that heat. <laughs> So I kind of picture the same thing happening with other emotions and, and, and anger, for example, can feel very hot. Right. Right. So if you could imagine just pouring that up and then chucking it out somewhere where it's not going to do any damage and allowing it to dissipate over time, that's kind of how I picture that emotional exchange. And I'm going to hit this quickly and then walk away from it, but maybe it's possible that the rock can actually take some of your stuff. Yeah, I, I, like I said, I feel like if we were more sensitive uh-huh. to the nature of the world around us, we would learn all sorts of things that right now we just maybe brush off. So hardest thing in your life that you can talk about, what was it? Oh, man. 
<laughs> so many options. No, no, no. It's um, there was a really big pivot point in my life in 2012. Okay. So I was I was your uh, school was always kind of a walk for me. Uh-huh. I was very naturally gifted at a lot of things, uh-huh. and. I kind of saw myself as the smartest guy in the room, no matter where I was. Oh, which was probably true. Well, it depends on how you measure it, because from an emotional intelligence perspective, I was definitely not in the top, you know, 80 <laughs> percent. Uh, OK, <laughs> so um, so I, it's 2012. I've been in my career as uh, as an aerospace engineer for probably six years at this point. Uh huh. And again, used to be in right more often than not. And I went, I traveled with my wife across, uh, across the ocean. We went to Sweden where I had spent some time as a missionary. And we were visiting in the home of a really good friend of mine that I connected with really strongly uh, while there as a missionary. So we're staying there for a few days. And after about two and a half days, this friend of mine says, look, I don't know how it's to save us, but you've got to leave right now. And I never want to talk to you again. Well, and before I knew it, we were standing with all of our suitcases in a foreign country. Just kind of wondering what in the world happened. So throw not, not just, not just like I had some minor disagreement, but I had just been uh, expelled from this home, thrown out of this person's home that I really cared about. I had no idea why. And I had no way of asking because at that from that point on the communication line was cut. It was gone. So for being such a smart person, I was completely blindsided by this. Uh-huh. And that started sort of this journey that's led me to connection coaching because what I realized was I was completely ignoring all of the needs and feelings of that person because that was just kind of how I did things. And because this person was a little bit introverted as well, there was no communication happening at all before the big explosion. Yeah. And at that point, it was too late to do anything. And he'd stuffed it down. Exactly. And uh, that happens in marriages too. We stuff it down until the marriage blows up as well. Yeah, exactly. And at that point, it's kind of, you know, a lot of times it's beyond repair or considered to be beyond repair. And so that opened up a huge hole in my life where I realized that for as much as I knew about science and physics and engineering and things like propellants and the way that engines worked and all of this stuff that I thought was so cool, I had no idea how a person worked emotionally. Interesting. And that was the biggest blind spot of my entire life. And I think he had the same holes that all of us men have rather than say, ouch, that hurts. He's going to stuff it down until it comes out badly. Same thing. And he had nobody to talk to, even though you were his friend and you were right there and you were invested in the relationship. He couldn't do it because he wouldn't allow himself to. Well, and and more importantly, like I wasn't trained to even see any of those signals. Uh Right. So even if I had sensed something like frustration or whatever, I wasn't equipped to know even what to do about that. So apart from being overly dismissive of those sort of things, I also just didn't do a very good job of reaching out and actively working on that connection, that relationship. We were more just co-located than we were spending time together. 
So that was the hardest uh, event of your life that at least you can talk about without uh, messing up relationships that are close to you. Well, I got to say, like my close relationships, I I really treasure. And there are hard things about every personal relationship because people uh, people are fundamentally flawed. The human condition is one where we we have foibles and things that yeah, cause problems for to be us. Flawed. Uh, let's take that one then. That's that's the hardest moment in your life. Um, what did that do to you? Well, you can imagine uh, the identity crisis that I had in that moment. Oh, I don't want to imagine. I want you to tell me all about like, it. Like, so we were standing at this hotel. My my passport had been stolen at this on the same trip. So it was like it was just this perfect storm. Mm-hmm. We had nowhere to go. We're standing in front of some random hotel in Stockholm. I've got my bags. My wife is next to me. She's, I don't know, four and a half months pregnant or something at this time uh, with our third child. And uh, I didn't have the answers. Um, I had no idea what to do. Like, I felt very deeply and perhaps probably for the first time like an utter failure. Because despite all of the achieving that I had done up to that point... I had something explode. It wasn't even good enough for you to stay in in a friend's house. Yeah. Utter failure. Okay. Why was that? I want to make sure I get the words right on this one. How did it serve you to go through that? Yeah, that's a really good way of looking at it. Because like we talked about earlier, Garth, life has a way of poking at these soft spots, right? Exposing your weaknesses to you. And sometimes those are really painful experiences to go through. Yes. But at that point, I feel like we have a choice to make. We can either try to deflect that lesson. We can excuse ourselves. We can blame other people. Pack it down. We can ignore it, right? Suppress it. We can do those things. That's a choice that we can make. Uh huh. Or we can accept that lesson and we can decide what we're going to do about it. And thankfully, uh, in that moment, instead of saying, well, you know, it wasn't even my fault, like, you know, I didn't know what was going on. I had no, like, there's no communication happening. Communication's a two way street. Like, why didn't you tell me that you were upset or frustrated? And I could have done something about it before you just, you know, you, that's right. a very, very common, especially now we're being trained, I feel like almost to take our personal failings or the problems that we contribute to in some way uh-huh. and then foist them on other people and make it their problem. Yeah. And if ours. it's their problem, then we don't have to do anything. Exactly. So we give up our responsibility. But in this, as we do that, we also give up our ability to make any meaningful, meaningful changes. There's a book about that, um, Jocko Willing. It's called, um, I'll think of it. But basically the idea is if we're not willing to take ownership of the problems around us, then we can't solve them. So I can see, especially I can think of people that I have known in my life who would have said something like, well, he's Swedish. I don't know what his rules are. He's on drugs. He's a mess. He's, <laughs> you know, he's he's a lunatic. I didn't, I wasn't really that good a friend with him anyway. Every Swedish pe- person on the earth is weird. Uh, yeah, well, and it gets more complicated, Garth, because... Wasn't a he, it was a she. Uh-huh. 
So there you go, like a whole yeah. new dimension of problem. Yeah. And instead of being a native Swede, she was an, an Iranian immigrant. Okay. So culturally, I am totally out of my depth there. So now we can blame things on Iranians. We can blame things on women. We can blame things on yeah. Swedish. Yeah, we can be we we can be very dismissive, right? And the world offers offers us so many opportunities to blame other people for our problems. Uh huh. But as we do that, we also give up our ability to do anything about it. Right. What did you learn from it? What did you do about it? How did you gain? Uh, well, that is the first moment where I had where I decided to start investing in what they call emotional intelligence uh -huh. or EQ. Because remember, I can do anything I want. I can be anything I want if I'm willing to do the work. So it was just a matter of finding, you know, a way to educate myself on that side of the house, mm -hmm. right? To start learning about how people work emotionally. How do I connect with them? How do I detect? So I've, I took body language classes. I took courses on communication active listening. I hired my own life coach. And so through various means of personal, professional, and and spiritual coaching, I was able to start putting together these pieces and get a more holistic picture of what a person really is like. Here's another question I got to ask. So you're, uh, you're working at a big firm, you're the big boss, you make big money, you're, um, you're the big guy. <laughs> Why would you, I don't want to say walk away from that, but I'm going to say walk away from that to become a connectedness coach. Remember the six, like what I mentioned before, I really believe this, that being successful in life is about the number of people that you can serve. Uh -huh. And I, the success that I've had in the software industry has served a lot of people, but it was very indirect in nature. Right. Right sort of behind the curtain, several layers back, producing this really intelligent software that ultimately does some services to people. But there's nothing like sitting down knee to knee with somebody or, or in a big group of people uh -huh. and helping them firsthand, right? Making real meaningful experiences that change the way they think about themselves and the way they think about the world. And to me, there's no, there's no greater feeling than coming out of a coaching session like that where someone has just had or many people have just had a big breakthrough and see the world in a completely different way now. That is awesome. You know, in a way, it kind of reminds me of me. I can, I can go out and, you know, I can make a good chunk of money in a morning doing a structural inspection. And for the, for the person that I did the inspection for, they're almost always very grateful. Sure. But I haven't really changed anybody's life. I just paid the bills that day. Yeah. And for me, sitting here talking to you, me and you and two microphones, this, is, uh, this, this adds value because, because there's a dude somewhere in Tallahassee that's uh, listening to you and he's saying – Oh, I can do anything I want to do. And I am willing to pay the price. And maybe he'll even, maybe even knows an Iranian from Sweden. And uh, maybe things are rocky and he can actually be the one that says, hey, let's, let's do X. Let's do, yeah. you know, let's talk. Let's, let's be more. 
Yeah. Well, and there's definitely two sides of that of that as well, right? Because when we feel frustrated, I feel like it's really important and maybe maybe sort of the core message of this episode should be, hey, emotion is natural. You're not broken because you're frustrated or angry or depressed. You're not there's not something wrong with you. That's part of the human condition. We just need to make sure that just like a lot of other physical processes, we have special spaces designed to eliminate that. To stuff. manage that. Yeah. I, being, I think the people who are most broken are the ones who can't or don't talk about their issues. I think of some veterans that I know that are unable to talk about wartime experiences. And even when I was around them at six years old, I could tell they were emotionally broken because they had deep, dark stuff that they could talk to nobody about. I, I guess for me, it's the people who can't or won't let stuff out. They're the ones who are broken. So I guess my moral from for this uh, of the story for this episode is don't let that be you. You know, yeah. find a way, find a rock, find a piece of paper, find a uh, I'm going to say ultimately, ideally, a coach or a friend who will listen. Yeah. Well, and I would even urge caution there because there's a difference between like processing and experience uh -huh. or versus just venting. We we call it venting, but it's really just taking all of our problems, uh -huh. anger and frustration and dumping it on another human being. Uh -huh. And we got to be caught. We got to be careful there. But individually, like I said, paper is great. Inanimate objects are great. Sometimes you just need to go out in the middle of nowhere and just have a good old-fashioned tantrum. <laughs> I'm serious, like scream and yell. you know, scream, yell, say things, and and a lot of times, I, you know, I've I've helped people who uh, have you know really deep-seated issues from from childhood, and sometimes they've been victimized in some way. Uh huh. But the aggressor, the person who caused the damage, is no longer around. Right. So what do you do in situations like that? Well, I say you can you can still have your side of that conversation. So you can you can go somewhere and you can say the things that you need to say. If you'd rather write them, write the things you need to say. Go to his grave, go to the place, um, or you could even... I know people who believe that you can call a particular dead person forward so that you can scream and shout at them. Yeah, there's not a lot you can do to change someone outside of yourself, mm -hmm. especially if they're not willing to make any changes. But you own that half. You own your half of that relationship. Uh -huh. And you can and you have the ability, you have the power to process that, to make it part of your memories instead of part of your present. What's your website? Uh, mountainsidementoring.com. Spell that for me. Uh, mountainside, so mountain uh -huh. side uh -huh. mentoring. Okay. Dot com. Dot com. And you'll see my wife and I on there. We she's a lot better at the at the connection coaching than I am. She's uh, she's the natural gifted. Uh, nurturer and connector. I'm the one that had to go to school to figure out how to do it. <laughs> uh, thank you very much, Aaron. Any uh, final uh, parting words from you? Well, I would just pass on the same advice that my parents did to me. Whatever situation you are in life, 
whatever your current circumstances are, you have the ability to make changes. You can become whoever it is you want to become as long as you're willing to put in the work. Hey, thank you for listening to this Manalyzing podcast. I appreciate it. You know, I don't go hunting for men with big stories and big issues to deal with. I find that pretty much any man that I talk to, he's going to have a story. If you're inspired by what you hear, here's my invitation. Join us. Join Manalyzing. Manalyzing.com. Lift and be lifted. Help other men and allow other men to help you. Let's do this together. We look forward to meeting you. Manalyzing.com.